Welcome to Imaging of Things, from mind to page, an inside look into the printing industry. Welcome to the Imaging of Things, a new show that focuses on giving fun and informative insight into the evolving world of printing, packaging, and beyond. I'm your host, Nick Benkovich, the prophet of print and packaging. And yes, the accent is as real as the conversation you're about to hear. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn more about the amazing world of printing. My guest this week is the Chairman and Chief Client Advocate at Image Options, Mr. Tim Bennett. Tim has had a lifelong career in the digital imaging and related printing industries. And like myself, he's based in beautiful Southern California, a continent away from where his story began. Tim, uh, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. So, uh, Tim, tell us, how does uh, how did you end up in the U.S.? I know everyone's got a fascinating story, but but how did you end up here? Um, well, mine ended up being a, a company transfer. I was in the printing industry technology side of uh, the business, and I was fortunate enough to get an intercompany transfer with a company called Crossfield, if anybody goes back that far in the digital early part of uh digital imaging, and um, got lucky enough to be in California. Well, you couldn't have ended up in a better place. Weather's beautiful. Lifestyle's great. Yeah. I uh, I also understand uh, you and I have spent some time together. You're uh, a bit of a car fanatic, uh, and in fact, uh, quite the daredevil on the racetrack, if I remember correctly. Yes. uh, The older I get, the faster I was (laughs) in my head. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I used to race competitively in the UK. I haven't done any competitive driving here, but I've done a lot of track uh, meets and et cetera. All all good fun and keeps you sharp. (laughs) Absolutely. Got to keep sharp. Yeah. So what I wanted to talk to you today was many of our customers are are struggling. The market is struggling, you know, the investment in technology. But I want to start way back at the beginning of image options. What made you decide it was a great idea to go and start your own business? Well, yeah, that's a a long and winding road. After being with Crossfield, I joined Cytex, for those that you would remember. And Cytex were a uh, basically took over the digital side of the the industry in, in, in prepress and became the, the forefront of it. They were also a great integrator, and that's where it really started. They integrated with some of the output devices in the early days, early inkjet machines. A lot of people will remember the Iris printer, which was the forerunner in the in the cliche market and uh, other devices like that. And they were early adopters of getting into large format printing with the outboard and the wideboard products that were actually made by other people and they got worldwide distribution. But I was just fascinated with the fact that our same customers could output, uh, instead of outputting film or digital plates for lithography, they could output on these large format devices. And it just seemed such a natural place to go for those clients' um, users that were looking to service their client base with with additional products. I do remember the Iris. I uh, I was lucky enough to work for for Creo back in the days, and a lot of the the Cytex folks were around, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously used the the Iris products earlier on in my career. So you decided to start your own business, grabbed a few friends that you knew from the industry, and said, "Let's let's give it a go." What was what was the first piece of equipment that you said, "This is the one that's going to start it all for us"? Yeah, prior to that, I actually did two startups for other companies after leaving Cytex, and one of them 
well, actually both of them were Cytex customers. And they said, that's a really brilliant idea. And, and I did the two startups and having achieved the second one, which was uh, even more successful, I thought, well, that was silly. I should have done it for myself. So <laughs> hindsight, as they say. Yeah. My business partner and myself, Brian, a lot of people know Brian Height. Uh, we started Image Options back in 99. And in, in those days, uh, we started off with sort of mid-format machines. And the leading production product at the time was still electrostatic at that time for those that go back to those days, in particular, the raster graphics machines and what have you, because they were much faster than other applications. And then came the wide format with, uh, with ViewTech. Interesting. Interesting. I often hear our customers in the market say, I can justify buying a new machine. You know, I, I can go out and invest in a piece of equipment. I think uh, printers have this concept that if it's big and heavy, it must be expensive. But uh, I've always seen image options as a customer that really drives at the forefront and invests in technology. Have you seen investment in, in software technology as a, a necessary evil or as a, a competitive advantage for your business? It's both. And it depends where on that timeline you've been with the speed and productivity of various machines. You know, I mean, when wide format came about, EFI, ViewTech being a a forerunner in that, uh, we got the very first eight color machine in the country. Now, the quantum leap between the the period before that of super low, didn't matter which the many, who the manufacturer was, the quality was much less. And it depended where you wanted to use that product. And we were doing a lot of primarily trade show uh, graphics in those days. So the quality had to be up there. As soon as the eight color machine arrived, we got the quality that we needed, but you weren't there with the speed. Uh, The speed sort of came afterwards, but there was no flatbed. There was no flatbed products out there at all when we started this thing. So it was an evolutionary process. And once second generation flatbed showed up, it was absolutely evident that being able to print directly to the end product, the substrate, that was the way to go in that, but it didn't negate you having roll to roll. So one of the advantages, I guess, and why we stayed with EFI ViewTech is the, the hybrid technology of having both flatbed and roll to roll on the same device. When you're small, that gives you a much better bandwidth with your client base. Absolutely. Flexibility is uh, is key. I mean, the, the types of products you need to produce, the substrates, it's one of the things I find really interesting about the display graphics market. It's, you know, we talk about the, the commercial print world and it's, it's paper, you know, the weight changes and, you know, it might be coded or uncoded. You might be, get a gloss or a matte, but there's not a lot of change in the, in the display graphics world. Certainly in the trade show world that you live in, you must print on dozens, hundreds of different substrates. Oh, we do. Indeed. It always amuses me if you, if you look at the, the sick code of anything, you know, you're going to a convention or whatever and they send you an application and it said, what do you do? Large format still doesn't show up on its own. I mean, it is a massive, massive industry, but we still fall under commercial printing. Some of those things should get ironed out by the professionals at the, uh, the industry level to actually get a large format digital category. You know, we, we're not, we don't fit in any of those other things. We just get all swept up in the same bucket, and it's definitely not. But to go back to your substrate thing, 
that also was an evolutionary piece. Originally, most of these technologies were solvent-based, so that gave you a lot of options, but it restricted it in that you couldn't print on things that didn't either absorb the ink or evaporate the ink. As soon as UV arrived, everything changed. The world changed for you. It opened up everything, didn't it? Everything. Uh, we were printing to metal. We're printing to substrates that would never dry with other processes like clear window films and, and, and everything else in between because the moment that dot hits that substrate, you've got curing and you can print basically to anything. And that's when the market and the innovators of what design looks like started looking at different materials to be able to get a different looking product, et cetera. And, and that, that changed everything. And I think that's when people started looking at large format and something different, which is why I hate getting scooped up in the commercial printer <laughs> category, because we're not. <laughs> that's it. There's no blankets in this shop. No. no. And many of us came from, from that world and, and it is a largely different world. And I think- sure. One of the things I find interesting about display graphics is, you know, you go back a few years like me, and uh, if you think about the early days of, of commercial printing, you know, we all got excited when Cut Sheet Digital came out. Oh, we could have a, a print run of one or print yeah. run of five, and everything could be unique. And the interesting thing for me was that it was restricted in size. So, yes, I could have variable, I could have unique product, but I could only do it in a small format. And, and display graphics is sort of that middle ground. I can have a print run of one, but I can print it as big as an offset press. And in many cases, significantly larger than an offset press mm -hmm. could do. Absolutely true. I think that the advantage of digital is you can do one. The disadvantage of digital is you can do one. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it really depends. If you're doing one, hopefully it's priced for custom work. And it is a custom product and it could be retail. It could be a, a big launch. It can be an event. You know, these activations are ex very uh, important these days uh, for big brands. And they, those graphics should command a price point that enables you to do that. Unfortunately, a lot of people have got into this business that don't understand that and they price it as if it's a bigger job. And yeah. they wonder why they're not making uh, what they should be making at the end of the day. And that's because all the setup and everything else is buried in that one print. Most clients, our clients, certainly at the, the, that level, understand that a one-off is going to cost more than a multi-off. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's all set yeah. up, isn't it? It's all set it up is. cost. In the offset world, when we're printing 10,000, I can bury the setup cost right. at a per piece rate that's negligible. But when I'm printing one, that, that setup cost is significantly higher. And at the same time, with the, the speed, uh, of the the current machines, the pricing that you can get to has nothing to do with that one-off price. It is becoming very, very cost-effective to do quite, you know, some time ago we used to say, well, anything between one and 50, you can make economic sense out of. Beyond that, there used to be a different process that would accommodate it, but not now. I mean, we're printing jobs that are in the hundreds, sometimes in the thousands because it still makes economic sense to do it with that process. And obviously, if you get to a certain size and it goes even beyond like a large format KBA litho press, uh, then the only form to do it in is, is large format digital. Yep. But that breakpoint has moved up and up and up 
the faster the equipment is getting. So, you know, large volumes of work, shorter runs. I mean, we, we talked about this in the offset world 15, 20 years ago. We were all saying, oh, the runs are getting shorter. In the display graphics world, that's sort of the, the standard. So how do you handle the volume of jobs? I mean, what is the technology back end that says, how do I make it all make sense? I've got to receive all of these orders. I've got to process these orders. I've yeah. got to track all these orders. You invested heavily in technology there. So what makes it work for you? Well, you know, we had to get to a certain size uh, before investing in in PACE. In this particular case, we have uh, the EFI PACE product. That has obviously changed a lot of things because into that, we also have multiple custom things doing automated pre-flighting and, and all kinds of verification things that we can automate that process with. We have a one particular big event that we do for another company. It's not on our website due to NDAs, but it has about four and a half thousand individual files for this one show. Wow. And the management is everything. Uh, everybody wants the print, but what they can't do is manage the organization. And, and we managed to solve that with, with various uh, techniques and uh, a lot of internal customization, but it runs like clockwork now. I think the other thing is that large format digital does is that, you know, we, we run into this with retail where, you know, about 50% of our business is, is retail and where a client used to buy one size fits all and then kit pack and ship everything out to 600 doors, uh, as being standard. Now we can, we look at that and we say, okay, uh, even if you take it down to its small, medium and large, we ship and kit pack exactly what that store grouping requires. And uh, we're doing that, a lot of that work on the uh, back end of, of Pace. So when we're fulfilling these things, that the, initially the client doesn't even think about the cost. But you know, if, you, if they look at a piece and say, well, your square foot pricing, this is another thing that drives us nuts, but <laughs> is higher than the other guy down the street. We don't look at that. We want to say to the client, look at the whole cost of doing that job from the file management, the pre-press, the approvals, everything else, getting it right, no errors, getting it through the process, and only printing the sizes and pieces for those stores that fit into that small, medium, and high group. Right. When you look at the, the, the invoice at the end of the day, We've taken tens of thousands of dollars out of the client's budget on some of these projects because we're just managing the the process better in in that side. It's not about what an individual piece of print costs. It's about right. what does it cost me to get this up, up up in the store? Yeah, exactly. So they have to think about holistically what the project would cost from I've got an idea to I want to walk by the store and, and it looks fantastic and you don't they don't want to have skids of product arriving in their warehouse and have to pick and pack and sort and filter those out and ship them out and take that. And that's sort of the value add that that you bring to the equation for your customers that you really just take that and put their mind at ease that store number 427 is going to have the right size products for the windows that they have and the number of shelves that they have yeah. uh, and the floor area that they may have based on your know, floor patterns. I was standing in one environment, a retail environment one day, and it was uh, mid-afternoon and the manager had all this stuff out. And I said, 
that's that's a huge amount of of uh, print and display you're putting up. He said, "Yeah, most of it's going to end up in the in the trash because my store's too small. I can't. I don't have these gondolas to install this stuff. I don't have backdrops, etc." And and that was several years ago. And we've always had this mentality of being able to do that. And then the software became available to be able to do that kind of inventory control stuff. Uh, and it, it just it makes for a happy customer. Well, hopefully uh, for that gentleman, uh, they're now a customer of Image Options and he's he's getting the right size pieces for his store. Uh, in that particular case, actually, they're not. It's one of these uh, ivory tower accounts that <laughs> think they've got everything nailed down themselves. But there's plenty of other people uh, that fit our category. Absolutely. So, you know, certainly I've seen, uh, you know, in the time that uh, we've worked together and, and uh, I've seen Image Options grow. I guess the question that people always ask me is, so do I go and buy the machine and then go find the customers? Do I buy the technology? Do I go find the customers? Or do I find a market and then invest in the technologies I grow? What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, we're unusual in that uh, we often describe it as being our three-legged stool. When we first started out, we were primarily focused around trade show exhibits. Uh, that's because we understood them. My partner came from that industry. We had clients in that industry, and the volumes aren't high. It's very big stuff, but the volumes aren't high because it's right. for that trade show, and that fit the capacity of the technology available at that time. As it got faster, you started reaching into the domain of the screen printer and the photo labs, remember those? Right. I mean, LA being Hollywood, et cetera, was full of large format photo labs that did work for, you know, for big retailers as well as the movie industry, because that was the only way you could get size and quality and to some degree speed. Then it was screen print. And then on the bottom end, you had digital. Well, the, the, the higher the speed, the higher the quality, digital started eating into both of those industries. In fact, we had a large format, five-color, inline, fully automated screen press line, which we shut down while it was still working very, very well. But when you look at the quality issue and you take out the make-ready and everything else and other limitations around that, it just got to a point where, and it was sat on an enormous piece of property. You know, I mean, that of covers a, a lot of real estate. Um, we decided to shut that down uh, with the, I think it was probably the third generation of, of digital printing equipment we got because it was just faster. And we could, you know, they could order 50 or they could order 51. It didn't make any difference, <laughs> you know. So, uh, and now we're, as I say, we're up in the, in the hundreds. Go back to your, the three-legged stool if you stay in one channel, i.e. trade show, trade shows are cyclical, as is retail. Yes. But trade shows in particular, they have summer seasons where there's really not much going on. Then it starts to build, and then it gets very busy. And so how do you have enough technology, enough firepower on the floor to be able to fulfill your customers' needs and those very big shows? Mm -hmm. Our solution was to go into retail so that when we weren't busy with trade show, we were busy in retail and the two cohabit. But the other element that was driving that is we had a lot of fabrication capabilities pretty early on in our, in our life because we needed to do that. We needed to be able to finish off the print or whatever it was in 
a ready-to-install-on-show-site product. Well, lo and behold, retail, you know, when we started out, you weren't doing all the stores. You were maybe doing flagships. You know, if you take big famous names that have regular stores in the hundreds, maybe our process at that time didn't fit. But certainly the flagships, uh, flagships and the launches did. And so, and it needed our fabrication side that we use in trade show in order to be able to finish that product off properly. And so that's how we got in, into that. And that, that grew both sides of the business, if you like. And today uh, we're in experiential graphic design, EDG, which is a very demanding area. It's a good, it's a good area doing corporate interiors, basically what that is, which is why we have a facility up in Northern California too, in San Jose, uh, where we handle a lot of the big technology companies, where it's a combination uh, of print and branding. They want it's all about the branding when people arrive there, and and a lot of uh, three dimensional fabrication and and installation. It's it's the most technical end of our business, uh, not for the weak of heart because you need everybody, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but it's good. It, so the bottom line is it flatlines the print capability, which is just a portion basically of what we do. And then because we've got so many of those devices on the floor, you have to have that burst speed to be able to hit the big the big show dates. Right. I don't think we could uh, have a conversation with talking about the C word. Um, let's be honest, COVID hit everybody. Oh, yeah. Certainly, uh, I've, I've heard some great stories where people have, have pivoted and been able to survive very well through COVID. I, I've heard stories of people that have have found it tough and, and yeah. but managed to survive out the other side. Uh, you know, how did you pivot to survive the COVID period? Yeah, well, you know, what they say, the harder I try, the luckier I get. Um, <laughs> the, we have some great thinkers in our company. Uh, it's not about me, believe me. We have uh, some great technical people and we have a tremendous team of salespeople and sales leadership. And we looked at that, and and part of it was luck. Uh, w- one of our engineers, uh, in actual fact, his daughter worked in a hospital, and she knew we had got the order to shut down. And she called her father and said, Dad, before you close, is there any chance you could make us a few face shields? We're going to need these face shields, and we're desperately short. And one thing led to the other. We reverse engineered one of their uh, ideas, uh, overnight, had a prototype there the back uh, the following day, and they said, "How many can you make?" And he said, "Well, how many do you need?" And they said, "Well, we'll give you a PO right now for ten thousand." Whoa! And so it was. Now these are not masks; they're actual plexiglass shields, and it went from there. and And we produced thousands and thousands of tens of thousands. Incredible! At that time, we actually had a hundred and seventy six employees. And we ended up with 45 temps, hiring temps in. And basically, there was no, the trade show business went away overnight. So that was done. Of course. And we were trying to keep everybody employed where we could. So we had to do all the social distancing and paper on the, on the tables and uh, an outside yep. company that came in to sanitize three times a day. And essentially, we built production lines. And at our peak... The most we got out in one day between the two plants was 78,000 uh, plexiglass shields. Our biggest pro- uh, problem was getting 
uh, raw materials, which is raw, uh, materials, raw yeah. materials, yeah, yeah, that was uh, seems to have been a problem for a lot of people. Yeah, as they say, yeah, necessity being the mother of invention. Yeah, it was quite m- uh, miraculous, and you know, and then the the print gradually started coming back. But that was our our pivot. Excellent. So, got a couple of quick ones for you. Um, so. Over the years, you've you've bought lots and lots of technology, whether that's a, a physical piece of machinery, a, a new press, a die cutting, flatbed cutting software. What was the what was the piece of technology that you invested in that just had the biggest impact on your business, but really surprised you? I, I would have to say it was probably the first eight color machine. Although it wasn't fast, it did things that people had never seen before. I would think that probably did the most um cnc routing yep. getting away from from table saws and everything in the in the <laughs> infancy i mean that's the way it was done you know? oh i remember that i remember those good old days and you had a, a factory full of dust everywhere yeah. and people wearing masks and, and you know now we have we have five cncs on the floor of various uh, capabilities uh you know some for heavier goods like wood and what have you but you know, we we print on wood on a frequent basis, especially in for architectural firms. We're printing on wood that gets the image directly onto it and installed right in the building. So, I would say, you know, it's a combination of things. I don't know that we've particularly bought a dud, uh, <laughs> but you know, we usually see the opportunity because it's like you know that's the fifth time we've been asked for that. Let's look into that field. It's how we got into rigid dye sublimation. Right. Uh, we've been in sublimation a long time. In fact, we started in sublimation with our raster graphics machines, the old ESTAP machines, which were terribly grainy and what have you. But we, we started in dye sub, and, uh, and now, obviously, we have a tremendous amount of firepower on uh, with EFI ViewTech uh, dye sublimation equipment, both in 16 feet, the 5-meter machine, and the three meter, 10 foot machine. Uh, we're on our second generation of, uh, of three meter. Wow. And, and we've had other equipment as well, but those in show season, those machines are, are very, very busy. Then you create a whole another set of problems in that print is just part of it, even though dye sublimation is a science unto itself. But then you've got all the finishing, et cetera, because now yeah. you've got teams and teams of sewers and cutters and and fitters that fit these big graphics into uh, big extruded aluminum frames, et cetera. And I think that's the that's one of the challenges that that people think of, you know, it's printing and, and the press got faster and I can print much, much more. But all you've done is really create a, you know, a scheduling nightmare and a bottleneck downstream for yourself because now I've got to cut it and sew it and, and finish that product and deliver that product. So yeah. I, I think that's one of those pieces of advice I would say to everybody, make sure that you understand what your full schedule looks like and, and have a system that controls it. Yeah. You know, naively, some people get in, they say, you know, oh, large formats, the fastest growing sector of the print or just, just say for him. For example, yep. um, we know it's packaging, but but uh, <laughs> large formats growing like crazy and what have you. But there's so much more you need, and and when people ask me, you know, we do lots of tours for, for people that would uh, be perhaps looking at that in in a different field. But you know, when they walk in and they walk through the plant, our plant down here is a hundred and three thousand square feet, 
we have a separate facility for fulfillment and storage. But when they walk through that 103,000 square feet, they say, I didn't realize you had all this other stuff. And I said, well, it's just part of producing at that level, at that kind of quantity and sizes. You got to be able to put up these big ring banners and things like that. There's a lot of small format stuff doesn't require that, but, but don't, get glassy eyed and think, oh yeah, I could go <laughs> to uh, an exhibit company and say, I can do all your work because it takes a, uh, it takes a village to do that. I, I'm going to touch on the people thing. Cause I think one of the things that I've noticed, you know, again, you and I are of a certain age. Um, and I think some of the art and craft of the industry started to go away over the last 15, 20 years. So, you know, as, as your business grows, as, as your customer demands change, do you typically look to train internally for people to add skills or do you do you go outside or as a combination of both how do you make that happen it's a matter of we do some we we do a lot of training inside but obviously we also get candidates that come along from somewhere else that have got a certain amount of training the question is are they trained at your level Yes. And you have to dig down and ask those questions, anybody that's thinking of venturing into some of this. But the the reality of it is a lot of people don't know what they get into until they get there. As I often use the phrase, you can go to Ruth Chris and you can get a steak or you can go to Sizzler and get a steak. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, it's the same animal. It's a totally different dining experience, a totally different product that comes out at the end of the day. You, you have to understand that the, not all customers are made equal. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Tim, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation for me. I actually learned some some things. You know, it, you think after all these years, it wouldn't be anything I could learn about the print industry, but uh, you know, learned some fabulous things from you today. I want to thank you very much for your time. We do appreciate it, and um, we wish you all the best of luck in 2021 and beyond for uh, the team at Image Options. Thank you very much. Been a pleasure. I want to thank Tim for joining us today on the Imaging of Things. I learned a lot of great stuff, and hopefully our listeners had some great takeaways too. I want to leave you all with just a little interesting fact, something I found interesting and wasn't really aware of. Fonts, typefaces, we've all lived with them. We all live in the reproduction world, initially created by hand and often named for the painters who created them. The best example, French painter Claude Garamond. The font still in use today. And with that, Thanks for listening, and don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Until next time, I'm Nick Benkovich, and thanks again for listening to The Imaging of Things. Music